So here's what we're after today. In the waiting, in the interim, we want to be people who imitate and replicate faith and joy in the valley. Let me say that one more time. In the waiting, in the interim, we want to be people who imitate and replicate faith and joy in the valley. So we're going to start in the middle of verse 6, if you want to read along with me. For you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And there's three things I want to observe in this section. The first is that this new church received the word. Said another way, they demonstrated trust and obedience. They heard God's word, they heard the gospel, and they responded and they put their yes on the table. Now, I don't want us to gloss over this simple but profound truth of being a receiver of God's word. So I want us to stop here and do some introspective work. What's the posture of your heart toward his commands? What's the posture of your heart towards his commands? And again, I think about my own home and our children because that's so much of what our life is right now. And we have rules in our home. Specifically, like we we have some rules around TV, right? And, And we have what we call show days. So we have popcorn movie night on Sunday night where it's like the family, we get together and we're gonna watch a movie and that's fun. And my wife, Andrew, will make popcorn and sometimes we throw in some chocolate because we try and be really good parents and fun parents. Uh, and we watch a movie together. And then like we let our kids watch shows on one other day of the week. But because my kids are sneaky and manipulative, <laughs> they'll come to us on a non-show day and they'll go, hey dad, can we watch a show? <laughs> And I'll go, kids, it's, it's, not a, it's not a show day. And they go, oh, dad, like we know it's not a show day. We're not talking about now. We're talking about like later, like it's some ambiguous time in the future. And I'm just kind of like, all right, we need to work on this. You need to ask the question. You're trying to get the, you know, anyway, it's a whole nother deal. But I'm like, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. And Andrew and I, like, we're not tyrants. Like we're not tyrants. We're trying to be good parents who love and care for our children. I'm not trying to stomp on my kids' enjoyment of life. Like when my wife walks into the backyard and my two-year-old is on his hands and knees, and true story, he's lapping water out of the dog bowl, <laughs> right? We, we put a stop to it. Why? Why? Because we know there's a better way, right? Like it's called a cop. It's like, stop, like, don't do that. There's a better way. It's, it's a cup. Like, we don't lap water like a dog. And so I want them to trust me, right, that I have a bigger vision of flourishing for them than they even realize in the moment. So when I say no or wait, it's not because I'm trying to rob them of joy. I'm trying to lead them into it. I'm trying to lead them into it. And so it is with God our Father. His commands are not there to destroy you. They're there for your good, and I want us to be people who receive his word and trust his heart. The second thing I want to call to attention is the context of their faith. It was during severe persecution. They were enduring, enduring trials and sufferings. In fact, 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says it this way, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Now, let's stop for a minute because I think it's important to say that healthy people don't seek out suffering, right? Like we don't wanna seek out suffering. We'd much prefer the mountaintop to the valley. And, And again, that's perfectly normal. That's perfectly normal. However, the flip side of that coin is that we shouldn't, it shouldn't catch us off guard either. Like when we go hiking in Colorado, no one should be like, I had no idea mountain lions were a thing here. Huh? Like how strange, how strange. But like, we're not looking for them either, right? Like we're not like, hey, let's go out on a hike looking for the mountain lion. Like we're not looking for them. In fact, I do everything I can to avoid mountain lions. And so far in my 10 plus years, I've been highly successful at it, right? But I'm also on my guard and I'm aware of my surroundings when I'm in the wilderness. And so I don't want us to be caught off guard when suffering comes knocking as though it's like the most unusual thing in the world. See, the the Thessalonians were suffering directly in response to their faith, and some of you can relate to very real physical and emotional trauma because of your faith in Christ. But if I had to guess, more of us probably relate to suffering as living in a broken and sinful world, right? We experience pandemics. You experience, I experience betrayal, isolation, sickness, loss, Like I think about some of the conversations I've had with some of you and you're waiting on a relationship, right? You're waiting and you're waiting, right? You long for that relationship or you're waiting as you're trying to find a place in the city where cost just seems to always be going up and you're like, I just want a place to stay. I want want a home and how hard that can feel. Like it feels like your life's up in the air and you don't have the security you long for and you wonder where God is in all that. So you're trying to be patient. And it's really, really hard. See, this is life in the interim. It's mountaintops, valleys, where we don't go looking for suffering, but we're not surprised by it either. And I want us to be ready. The last thing I want us to see, and it feels to me like this is the piece that anchors all this together, is the joy of the Holy Spirit. And whenever I hear the word joy, the image that immediately comes to my mind is the Who's from Whoville. All right? And I know for some of you haters, you're like, it's May. Like, we don't talk about Christmas right now. And I'm like, well, you know what? I have the microphone and I'm going to talk about Christmas. So, uh, like, don't be the Grinch. Like, Christmas isn't just for December. And it's a great movie, right? The Who's from Whoville. And, like, you know the story. What happens? Like, the Grinch, he hates Christmas. He hates the Who's. And so he's like, I'm going to ruin Christmas. And he's like, the way I'm going to ruin Christmas is he, and I think Max is his dog, they concoct or he concocts this plan uh, to take all of the presents and the garland and the decorations and all of it. And so he does that on Christmas Eve and he takes everything and he gets it in his sleigh and, you know, the reindeer antlers are strapped on the dog and, and, and they're like going up the mountain and they're getting ready to toss everything off the cliff and ruin Christmas. And what happens? It's like the movie zooms into the town hall square. And in that moment, the Who's are waking up and they walk around, they walk to the center of the square and they start holding hands. And what do they do? They're singing. They're singing. And you know the story. It changes the Grinch's heart. He like, his heart grows however many times bigger and he has all this strength and he saves all the toys and brings it all down. But the point is, is in that moment, in that, mo- in that movie, we're tapping into this transcendent idea that there's some things that can't be taken from us. 
There's just some things that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark the night, they remain unshakable. That joy is not a situational feeling, but an eternal reality that will never change. See, joy in the Holy Spirit in the text is tied directly to the unshakable reality of verse 4. In verse 4, we know some things. So if you look at verse 4, what are the things that we know? We know that we are chosen by God. That if you are a follower of Jesus, he has chosen you. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you are loved by God. He has set his affections on you. He loves you. You are beloved of God. We know that his power has saved us. That's something else we know. Right, that his power has been directed towards us, that the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave rescued you from Satan, sin, death, and hell. And none of that can ever change. And this produces the joy of the Holy Spirit that allows us to worship when life gets hard. And I think about all of you and some of your stories I know And we've shared life together for years, and some of you I don't know. But what I do know is we've all walked through tragedy and pain, and I think about what we did when we walked in here this morning, not more than 15 minutes ago. We started singing. (laughs) What an act of faith and joy through your pain, your fear, your tears, your sleepless nights, through betrayal and loss. You're still here. And you're singing like God is faithful and how beautiful and powerful it is when we gather together here and do this and we lift up our voices to God in the midst of all the brokenness out there and we say, you're good and you're worthy and we love you. So let's take this vision, one of faith and joy in the valley and look back at the end of verse 5. And the beginning of verse 6, Paul writes this, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. And so when he says the Lord, this is a snapshot of Jesus' life, faith and joy, faith in the word of God. Jesus puts this on display with his whole life, but I think explicitly about his temptation from Satan in the wilderness where he responds to the lies with the word of God or at the cross right when he's praying and he says, not my will, but yours be done. He trusts the heart of his father. In the middle of his life, when he was misunderstood, abused, experienced loss, was reviled and betrayed. And yet he walked in the joy of belovedness because before any of that pain and before he even begins his public ministry, he gets baptized And if you know the story of Jesus's baptism, what happens? Like the whole Trinity shows up. It's like the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven. And what does he say? What does he say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so joy flows out of Jesus because the air he breathes is the belovedness of a son. Jesus walks in obedience and joy in the midst of the valley. This is Paul's story too. He's persecuting the early church and Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He hears the voice of God and he turns. 
He listens and receives. Then he goes on to walk in the joy of his salvation, preaching to the nations around Israel and being thrown in prison. And what does he do? (laughs) He sings. He sings like he's beaten, persecuted, experiences experiences loss, but you can't take away something he was never responsible for securing to begin with. See, he's got joy, and that gives him the ability to sing. And it continues with the new believers in Thessalonica. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, faith and joy in the valley. And so it continues with us. And again, I look around this room and it's filled with men and women who are spiritual fathers and mothers, singles and married, young and old. This room is full of you who in your own journeys as you've been in the valley have demonstrated faith and obedience and joy. You're leading and serving and participating in our city groups. You help out at First Impressions and Summit Kids. Your life is a worthy example to follow. And I am so proud to lead here and call you my brothers and my sisters. And some of you are new and you're young in your faith, or maybe you're exploring faith for the first time. You feel like you wish you had someone to talk to, walk alongside. We say this a lot, but before the church is anything else, it's a family. And families, we share our lives together. And so if that's you, we'd love to help you get connected to our family. And we'll have some action steps at the end of our time together to help you with that. Now, looking forward to verse 7 and 8, we see this new church of young believers. They move from imitating to replicating. Okay, now they're going to replicate. They set the example not only to the other churches in the area, but everywhere. It seems like Paul is so proud and gets so excited that he starts speaking in euphemism. It's not like everywhere. He's not talking about the whole world. We're talking about a very localized area. But he's just like, your example is so powerful that it's going out everywhere. In fact, Paul uses the language of their faith and example sounding forth. And it's an idea. It's this idea of a loud resounding noise that reverberates like a gong when it's struck. And again, their example is so powerful. He's like, I have nothing else to add here. Like, I have nothing else. Your example of faith and joy in the valley is so powerful. There's nothing really I can add to it. Okay? Now, I just want to make an observation here. Uh, and, And it's this. That like when we think about uh, the world and what the world says about impact, like the world would probably say we need some money. More is better. In fact, a lot more is even better. And we probably need a good following. People need to see all the cool things we have and all the cool things we do. We need to run in the right crowds and know the right people. We need the connections. And if we have all those things, we can probably make a difference. Maybe. Maybe, and we certainly don't suffer, right? No one's posting that on. No, no one's posting that photo on their feed. No, no one's putting that one up. In fact, I think the tendency for for you and me is to believe that suffering actually sidelines us from a life of impact. When in fact, the Bible is teaching us that it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. See, what if our suffering doesn't actually sideline us? but it's an invitation into a life of greatest impact to those around us. 
And, and I think about like the, uh, the story of like uh, Corey Tinboom, right? And how she was thrown in a concentration camp for protecting the Jews during World War II and how she lost her father and how her sister was murdered in that concentra- concentration camp, how she lost all of her worldly possessions and she waited day in and day out in that prison to die. And yet she survived. Like, it's a miraculous story, The Hiding Place. You should go read it. But it's a miraculous story. She survives, and then she goes on to have this worldwide impact of ministry to people around the world of what does it look like to remain faithful, to be steadfast in your faith, and enjoy in the worst of circumstances. I think about Job from the Bible. He lost everything, and the pain and the confusion in the pain and the confusion, he still trusted. And to this day, we turn to his book written thousands of years ago on how we navigate trials in life. Like that's impact, right? It's impact. It's a thousand year old book and we're still turning to it going like, how do we do this? And, and, and going a little bit more into the story of Job, like, like the story of Job, if you read it in chapter, uh, chapter one and chapter two, God's actually initiating a fight, right? Like Satan shows up and God's like, what have you been doing? And he's like, I'm roaming the earth. And God looks at him and, and picks a fight and goes, have you considered my servant Job? Right? I mean, that's what he says. Like he trusts me and loves me and is blameless in all his ways. And what does Satan say? Of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. You've given him all your stuff, but you take it away and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, challenge accepted. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. And here's the underlying lie. No one really loves you, God, simply because you're glorious and worthy. They love you because they like your stuff. It's the lie. So when suffering comes, and it will, and it strips away the things we hold dear, our wealth, our health, our security, and when we respond through the pain, in the waiting, in obedience, and in the joy of being loved by God, we're shouting like a resounding gong that he is our greatest treasure. Like Jesus Christ has always been and will always be most beautiful and that can't be taken from us. And if you're like me, you might be thinking, well, that's great, but I'm not Corey Tinboom. This isn't World War II and I'm not Job. No one's going to write anything about me in the Bible. My platform and situation aren't nearly as dramatic. And that's true. <laughs> it's true. But there's people right outside our door and in our neighborhoods, and they're walking down Larimer Street this very morning that are desperate for something more substantial in their lives than the next pub crawl. You want to make an impact? Do you want a life of meaning? When suffering comes, we don't go looking for it, but when it comes, you worship and you put on display his beauty and his glory. Like our neighbors and our coworkers, they need that. They need to see Jesus as most beautiful and worthy of their worship and affection, that they too would walk in faith and the joy of being loved by him. 
See, that's what changes our neighborhoods and our communities and our cities when we put on display that you are more valuable than anything else. And so we trust you and we walk in the joy of being loved by you. And so I want us to think about this as a rhythm in the valley, in the interim, in the waiting, obedience and joy, faith and joy, imitate and replicate. And so as we wrap up our time together, I want to ask a few questions, and then I want to ask the Spirit of God to do the work that only He can do. Who can you encourage that's around you, that's walking through the valley? Like There's people all around us that are quietly hurting. Where can you step out in faith with your presence? Sitting with someone in pain, praying with someone. Who can you encourage that's walking in the valley? It's happening all around you, right? Not that we would provide solutions. Sometimes there's no easy solutions to the, to the pain and the heartache of life. Sometimes what it needs to be is presence. You're just there, right? You're there with somebody. You put an arm around them. You pray with them. Second, where is God calling you into greater faith and obedience as you walk through the pain? Do you know that the heart of the Father towards you is one of love? He loves you. He loves you. Where can you trust him in response? So you look at him and go, you're worthy of trust. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust the heart of my Father in the middle of the pain. Will you trust him as you wait? Lastly, ask God for joy. This is hard. When we think about joy, because you can't manufacture joy. Like you can't manufacture it. Like what we're talking about here is not something you just go, okay, I don't have it, so I'm going to work harder to produce it. Like I'm going to have to manufacture this. And enough effort, and it's like, boop, there it is, joy. All right, that's not how this works. But that you would ask him, ask him that he would be gracious to you and remind you of his love and his affection, that he's called you, that his power is towards you, and that that would well up within your heart, not this situational, conditional happiness, but a true joy that would allow you to sing, that would allow you to sing, that you would know that he loves you and has called you and is near through it all. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for your word and how um, powerful it is and how timely uh, it is. And, and I certainly don't know all the, uh, all the stories here uh, of your people and, and what they're walking through. But I pray that you would give us a fresh vision, that you would give us a vision of faith uh, and obedience, like that we would trust your heart and that we would, we would really demonstrate joy. Uh, in the middle of, of our pain and in the middle of our waiting, that you would again give us that vision for the interim. And as we walk in that, that there would be real power uh, here to the people that are outside of our church, in our communities, and in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and that they would be transformed as we replicate a life of faith and joy in the middle of our pain, that you would save many through that and you would grow uh, your church and your gospel and your name and your beauty throughout our city. And so would you help us? 
Would you help us? Because the lens through which we see this is not we're just going to work this all up and kind of do this ourselves. It's like we need you to do this. We need your grace. We need your kindness. We need help with even the faith to trust you. Because it's hard. It's hard. And so we ask, Spirit of God, that you would do your work uh, and that you would make us people filled with faith and joy in the midst of the valley. Amen.